Welcome to another Mother Runner. This is Sarah Bowen Shea. I am joined by Ellison Wiest. Hello, Ellison. Hello. It's that time of year again. It sure is. It's all, I'm always delighted when it's this time of year because we get to talk about books. <laughs> I know. I know. <laughs> yes, and I, I understand that you've had a little more reading time, perhaps. Yes, I have. Yes. Carol and the kids moved into a rental house uh, back mm-hmm. in late September. Mm-hmm. And so it's just the two of us rattling around in this big house, uh, along mm-hmm. with the dog and a lot mm-hmm. of books. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Your big childhood home. Yes. I, I still never, it never stops amazing me that you live in the house that you grew up in. Yes. Yes. It It is a little, sometimes it really does sort of take me back. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 Do you mean that, like, will you, will memories just flood back to you? Like, you know, you're pulling a book off a shelf or, I don't know, reaching for something in the baking cabinet? Not as much as you would think. It's sort oh. of odd things. In fact, I find that I am have more moments like that in the neighborhood when really? I'm walking. Hmm. Like our library is in my old elementary school. Oh, how wonderful. Yeah. Yeah. So it's, it's you know, less than a half a mile from here. And of course, the first couple of times I went there, I would, you know, say to the librarian, I went to elementary school here. And she would look at me like, yeah, I've heard this 800 times from, <laughs> oh, isn't that wonderful? Yeah. <laughs> so I stopped, but the grandkids are just amazed by that, you know. Right. Also, oh, my goodness. Yeah. I also can't believe that you are a half mile from your library. I mean, could it be yes. more perfectly situated for yes. you? Yes, yes. I uh, know. I mean, I'm constantly, and the, also the area around there has a great running spot oh. where you can literally like run a mile down this road with these beautiful older homes, like from, you know, around the turn of the last century. Mm-hmm. And, you know, you can go a mile out, a mile back. You can run on some side streets. It's wonderful. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. It's like this neighborhood was made for Ellison. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> yeah. So, and I have to ask you, Ellison, how is your dog Babylon doing with fewer people in the house? I mean, is he missing the kiddos? He misses them uh, when they come over. He gets very, very excited. But. Mm-hmm. I also think, you know, he's uh, six now, and I think Mm -hmm. he enjoys going for the very long walks in the morning and then coming back and flaking out at my feet. Mm -hmm. He really enjoys it when we go back into this area that has all the bookshelves and a lot of windows, and I read, and he sits on my feet. Aw, <laughs> the perfect dog for you. <laughs> yeah, yeah. This at this point in his life, I couldn't have said that four years ago. But yeah. oh, I hear you, Augie. Yeah. My French bulldog is six and a half, and he's definitely getting. So that when we go to the dog park, I swear, if he stays for 10 minutes, that's a long visit for him. <laughs> yeah. 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 Supposedly, these are the dream years for a dog, the middle-aged oh. years. Yeah. Oh, yeah. So let's enjoy them. Yeah. Okay. All right. Very good. Very good. All right. So, well, enough talk of you reading and the room with books and lots of natural light and all that stuff. So, so this is our winter reading podcast, as we alluded to. And like last year, we are doing it a little earlier than we have in the past in the hopes that maybe listeners will add these to their wish list. You know, we'll give some ideas for gifts for others. 
So, and the list of all the books, as always, is in our show notes. So as you're running and listening to this, there's no need to repeat the title 10 times or the author so that you remember it by the time you get home. I know that's what I do when I hear something on a podcast. I'm like, I have to remember that. I have to remember that. (laughs) And then I'll remember where I was, but not what I was supposed to remember. (laughs) Comes to all of us. Yes. So, all right. Well, let's start with fiction. And I say, let's start with some big name titles and big name authors, Ellison. Sounds good to me. Let's start off with The Fraud by Zadie Smith. Mm-hmm. You probably, if you're a big reader, have seen this on a number of top 10 2023 books. Uh, Zadie mm-hmm. Smith essentially takes on the historical novel and mm-hmm. she hits it out of the park. This is a fascinating book. It's almost like she's channeling Dickens. Mm. The main character, I would say, is a woman named Mrs. Eliza Touche. And we are in 1873, and she is a housekeeper to a once famous novelist, a guy named William Ainsworth, and he was her late husband's cousin. And she's gone to help out with the house in in what she's learning, but of course she can't say, is that um, her husband's cousin slash author slash boss has had his better times, and now he's essentially, his writing has gone down the tubes, but everybody knows that but him. And meanwhile, he is widowed, but ended up getting his children's nanny pregnant. So he has this young uh, wife who has suddenly kind of been lifted up in society, and she becomes fascinated by a story that everybody in England is sort of excited about. It's called the Tichborne Affair. And it it talks about this guy, Roger Tichborne, who came from an extremely well-known family in England. And he disappeared overseas, uh, was thought to be lost. And all of a sudden, this guy appears in England saying that he is Roger Tichborne. It's pretty Mm -hmm. obvious to everybody that he isn't. But Mm -hmm. he convinces some of the rabble rousers that he is. Mm -hmm. And so there's a huge trial to decide if he really is who he says he is. Mm. So you've got all these interesting characters sort of thrown together. Elizabeth Touche, against her better nature, becomes intrigued with the trial. But mainly she becomes intrigued with a gentleman named Andrew Bogle who uh, is the black manservant to the guy claiming to be Roger Tichborne. And she becomes more fascinated with him. And so through the trial and through her learning more about him, she essentially comes to sort of know more about herself. Hmm. It's really fascinating. The other sort of thing I'll throw out there is that Eliza not only at one time had an affair with the man she's working for now, but she also had a romantic relationship with his late wife. So we got all kinds of things going on here. We sure do. We sure do. (laughs) You make it sound like a very fascinating read and with storylines kind of ripped from actual real headlines. Yes. Back in the day. Yes. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And, but one question that sprung into my mind 
Allison, how do you remember the names of all the characters in the books you read? I mean, like, please tell me you have like a you have a list in front of you that no. you've written out because yeah. I can I can put a book down in five minutes later and not remember the characters. Don't get names. excited. I've got I've got the book in front of me and I'm pulling stuff from it. So I'm okay. sorry that you know. I was like, wow, wow, wow. Eat the type of fish that she's having because that is some brain power. No, no, I wish I should have just said, oh, you know. I remember, I can usually remember titles and authors and that's about where it ends. Oh, well, you're ahead of me on that one. I, I'm like, oh, I really like this book. I don't have any memory of the name of it, but. Yeah, yeah. Well, if you like, I think this is for the reader that likes a really juicy historical novel. And I also mm-hmm. just think it's amazing to watch Zadie Smith go because usually she writes contemporary. She yes. also does essays. Mm-hmm. She really blew my socks off. Mm. I read one of her earlier novels and it was very dense. Is mm-hmm. this one equally dense? Was it um, not White Bones? No. Um, white Teeth? White Teeth. That might be mm-hmm. the one. And I loved On Beauty. Mm. Mm-hmm. I just remember White Teeth being very dense. Yes. And, and I mean that um, in terms of the plot, but also the way the words appeared on the page, which makes me sound like kind of an oddball, but the very long paragraphs. Yes. And so it was just a lot of words on the page. I mean, it, w- it was interesting and I got through it and it was a, obviously a finely written book, but it was just, it was somewhat daunting in the appearance of the words on the page. Yeah. Yeah. I don't think you'd want to go into the fraud just looking for you know, an easy read. I've got one of those mm-hmm. later on, but mm-hmm. I'm just always amazed when a writer can do about three or four different things with her books, mm-hmm. unless she writes mm-hmm. nonfiction. So, yes, yes, yeah. yes. All right. And your next novel? Uh, this is one that you and I were sort of buddy reading, although I mm-hmm. jumped uh, jumped ahead a little bit. That's mm-hmm. Day by Michael Cunningham. Yes. This people have really been talking this up and and waiting for it because it's been several, several years, I think maybe around 10. Yeah, I think it is a decade since his last novel. Yes. And and people probably know him as the author of The Hours, which was made into that movie with uh, Nicole Kidman, where she wore a prosthetic nose (laughs) to be Virginia Woolf. Yes. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) And I loved that book, The Hours. And so I'm going to admit that I'm afraid I'm guilty of holding up every thing that else that he writes to <laughs> the hours the, and, va- the vaunted hours yeah. <laughs> <laughs> in this book um i know that you're only part of the way through it mm-hmm. as you and i both know it takes place on three consecutive oh, well not consecutive the same day in three years in other words yes. it takes place on a day in april in 19, 2019 in 2020 at the same day in 2021 and mm-hmm. it essentially follows a single family, husband and wife, uh, the wife's do- brother, grown, grown brother, mm-hmm. brother, mm-hmm. who uh, is very beloved, not only by her, but her husband and their two children. Mm-hmm. I will say, I don't, uh, <laughs> don't want to spoil things for you, but I will say that I agree with a friend of mine who said that Cunningham's ability to write relationships about relationships is mm. spot on. Mm. But I found myself focusing on one relationship, a relationship okay. between mainly between the wife and her brother. Mm-hmm. And I began to feel disappointed when he moved the camera 
into another mm. spot. Interesting. Interesting. Okay. Yeah. So I am not all that far into it, but I really loved how quiet the novel was that, that it was um, just kind of, you know, it opened in a very quiet scene, early morning scene, someone looking out a window and that Cunningham kind of repeated the scene twice from two different vantage points. Yes. And I don't know if what it was, but the tone and style to some extent reminded me of an easier to read James Joyce novel. Oh, that's smart. Yes. Mm. Oh, I would agree. (laughs) I would agree. And this is from somebody who has attempted James Joyce. (laughs) I I just, I could never do it. And I just read about, what is it, a book group over in England? Yes, that that um, read Ulysses out loud. And what did it take them? Something like 28 20, years, I think. Yes. And now they've restarted it all over again. Yeah. Hats off to them, but don't invite me to your... <laughs> and I was like, oh my goodness. <laughs> I'm like, no, no. That's <laughs> not my idea of a good time. And maybe it's not meant to be. So Right. Right. Yeah. yeah. So it but like I said, it's definitely reminded me of easier to read James Joyce. Like, I would agree. Um but I just it's set in New York City. It's I don't know, I just found his use of language very lovely. Yes. And a lot of people mm-hmm. are calling this his pandemic novel. Yes. And I think other people find when you stick that label on some books, it turns people off. I do not think uh, people should approach this as a pandemic novel. I'll say that. Mm-hmm. Right. Right. I mean, it is New York City, yes. spring 2020 it, and 2021. Right. But I don't know. I think as time passes, I find it intriguing how art is approaching and looking at the lockdown time and the pandemic. Yeah. So, I don't know. That that to me is almost a draw instead of a deck. Yeah, it's funny. People seem to go on either side of that. And I f- they feel that mm-hmm. the pandemic in this novel is a, is a background vehicle. It's like it's not mm-hmm. driving the train. It's sort of the caboose. Mm-hmm. And maybe others will feel differently about that. But mm-hmm. yeah. Well, I think I think of Tom Lake. Yes. You know, Ann Patchett's novel that we talked about in summer reading that we both adored. And I mean, that was just the the pandemic lockdown in the most periphery of senses. Yes. And this one is a little bit, well, I'm glad you brought that up because this one now that now you're making me see this one, it has a plot twist that turns on that. Um, Mm -hmm. Given where it's set, that it's set in Manhattan versus Tom Lake being, you know, out in um, Michigan, uh, you know, pastoral Michigan, you know, on a cherry farm, you're further away from civilization and, the threat that the pandemic posed, you know, and, and there's not sirens going at all times of day. Like we heard about that. It was like in New York city. So, right. All right. Okay. And another very famous novelist, you're going to talk about absolution by Alice McDermott. Yes. Yes. Mm -hmm. And Alice McDermott is one of my all time favorite novelists. Mm -hmm. Speaking of quiet books, she's Mm -hmm. a very Mm -hmm. quiet novelist. Um, Mm -hmm. She doesn't get a lot of the fanfare, but she's, uh, I think, a favorite of of many of us that like very quiet, well-written literary novels. Mm -hmm. I would kind of, I think if you like Elizabeth Strout, then you Mm -hmm. need to read Alice McDermott. Mm -hmm. And Absolution um, is a novel that takes place 
in Vietnam oh. during uh, the Vietnam War. And instead of focusing on, as we've usually seen on uh, the soldiers, what this does is it focuses on some army wives who are living in Saigon in 1963 and have are sort of well, they are. They're very well removed from the whole conflict, and they live in almost sort of the lap of luxury because they have people that work for them, take care of them. Um, they are driven around anywhere they want to go, but they're still women. It's the early 1960s. Mm-hmm. They are still very much uh at least our main character, is very much enthralled by her husband. She's a newlywed, Mm -hmm. and she becomes sort of intrigued with this other army wife. The newlywed is Tricia. She becomes intrigued early on in the book by Charlene, who is a wife that's been there longer. Uh, Tricia has no children. She's been married less than a year. Charlene's been married many years, has three young children, including a set of twins. And she is sort of this magnetic woman who draws all sorts of people to her. And Trisha kind of comes into her web. And from the outside, you look and you it seems that Charlene is really trying to do a lot, not only for the wives of these army officers, but also for the Vietnamese people themselves. And as the novel gets deeper and deeper, you begin to see something um, a little bit more, dare I say, disturbing um, as Tricia deepens her relationship and begins to work with Charlene. Her eyes are opened. And then what happens is sort of in the middle, it flashes ahead of time when one of Charlene's daughters gets in touch with Trisha and Trisha is now widowed Mm. and Charlene's daughter has a connection to a young man that Charlene and Trisha knew when they were in Vietnam before they left rather abruptly. Mm. So Alice McDermott is just one of these novelists that just really, uh, you can almost sense Charlene and Tricia, mm-hmm. in the character of Charlene, this is going to sound really odd, but I could almost smell her because oh it, she's sort of this vibrant person. And the way McDermott describes her, you just almost feel like she's in the room with you when you're reading. Wow. Wow. Yeah. That is powerful. It is. And I wasn't as keen on Alice McDermott's last book before this one, mm-hmm. but this one. I found enthralling. Wow. You know, and you know, the beautiful thing about a book is your sense of what Charlene smells like, looks like, there's no right or wrong to that. No. You know, it's, you know, that is 100% your truth. And it is as good as anybody else's truth. Exactly. And I love it when an author can make me feel that way. Oh, my goodness. Very few authors can do that. Mm-hmm. I love books that are so evocative like that. Yes. Mm-hmm. 
All right. Well, I listened to a book. Uh, it's West Heart Kill by Dan McDorman. Oh, I've been hearing a lot about this one. Yes, I found it by uh, an article, a profile of Dan McDorman in the art section of the New York Times. And I know you love a good debut novel, Ellison. Yes. So, so I beat you to the punch by coming in with the first <laughs> debut novel you of did. the podcast. <laughs> oh, for the win. Uh, <laughs> And so the whole the Times article was about how Dan McDorman is, I think he's in his early 40s and how what a remarkable thing it is to have, you know, really your first novel and have it be such a big success at that, quote, late in life, you know. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) Let me get my walker and. (laughs) That's what I'm just feeling. Cataracts are sitting heavy on me. (laughs) Right. (laughs) So this is a murder mystery set in upstate New York. I'm pretty sure it's New York. It might be Pennsylvania, but, and it is a detective comes up from New York city, comes out from New York city to a privately owned hunting. I don't want to say lodge. It's a a community of houses that, that are on a lake and Hmm. that, um, the, the community, you know, everybody, you know, old money, they've all been there a long time. And some of the people want to sell the community. And there's a, some people think that maybe they could make a killing on it because it turns out that the land is owned by a native tribe or originally was. And so they think they're going to be able to maybe sell it to developers who can put a casino on it. And this is back in 1976. It takes place over a long, the long bicentennial holiday weekend. Hmm. And the detective, he's, uh, I think he's 37 and his name's Adam. And so he has, uh, um, affair with one of the women who lived there, a married woman who lived there. And then there's a couple murders. And the thing I really loved about it is that the author breaks the fourth wall. I don't know. You know, that's what they call it. Television or theater. I don't know if that's, if there's a term for that in a novel that's different, but um, you know, so it's like the way Fleabag turns and, you know, speaks on Amazon Uh, Prime turns and speaks directly to the camera or in one of my all-time favorite novels by Italo Calvino, If on a Winter's Night, a Traveler. Uh, Do you have, you've read that novel? No, no? this is, I have to laugh because I was just with a a couple of uh, bookaholics here that I (laughs) go to bookstores with. And one of them was bemoaning the fact that every time, that's one of her favorite novels, but she can't find anybody else who loves it as much as she does. (laughs) You need to connect us. (laughs) I know. I know. Oh, my goodness. That is so She was listing the people that she had given the novel to. And the the other woman and I were sitting there very quietly saying, please don't recommend it to us. Please don't don't make us read it. (laughs) Wait, why do you not want to read it? Because you're afraid you'll fall, your love of it will fall short and then your friend will not hold you in high esteem. Mm -hmm. Exactly. Well, no, I don't, you know, she, but I always hate that when somebody brings me a book, especially mm-hmm. if they place it in my hands and say, you are going to love this. And <laughs> it's the same know, way when, with, when your spouse is like, oh, I met, you know, Dan's wife. You're just going to yes. love her. It's like, yes. oh, uh, no. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And then you get home and turn to him and say, what in the <laughs> world made you think that woman and I would get along? <laughs> 
<laughs> we are showing our baser selves, Allison. <laughs> yes, yes, that's exactly right. <laughs> oh my oh gosh. All right, we need okay. to get back to West Hart. <laughs> we do, we do. So the author directly speaking to the reader and also going on these fabulous tangents about you know, Agatha Christie, or about the history of, you know, certain, you know, murder novels, you know, kind of of the golden era of murder novels and things like that. So, so it's a little bit of a schooling, but very much done in a tone that is fun, slightly rollicking. Mm -hmm. And just, uh, it's, it was really, it was a really fun listen, really, really fun listen. Well, and, do you think that makes me think, do you think it would be better on audio or can you get a sense mm-hmm. of whether people would enjoy it more reading it or listening to it? Well, I'd have to say it depends on what type of reader you are. I very much hear words in my head as I'm reading them and mm-hmm. I'm, Obviously, we can't know what goes on in other people's heads, but I don't know if other people don't experience reading that same way. If you point. if you don't have an audio component, you know, if you don't have the audio on in your head, if you have it on mute, <laughs> yeah. maybe you wouldn't like it as much. But there was one part, there was several interrogations where it would be, you know, Adam, da, 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 Jane, da, mm-hmm. da, 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 and it got a little trying to listen to that on the audiobook mm. so okay. obviously with reading it you would your eyes would just take in that said jane i wouldn't have to say jane in my head and then i could just you know you could kind of ping back and forth more easily with the mm. written word rather than the spoken word okay yeah so i thought it was fantastic i adored it good so, yes yes mm-hmm. yes so we'll talk about more books after this brief break to hear from the brands that make this podcast possible stay tuned Hey, E, what you got for us? Oh, a book that I thoroughly enjoyed called The House of Doors by Tan Tuan Ng. Mm-hmm. And this is, he's an author that I've heard a lot about. He's written several other novels. Um, they've gotten a lot of attention, particularly overseas. Some people may remember his first novel, The Gift of Rain, which I definitely want to read. And I believe the second one, yes, the second one is called The Garden of Evening Mist. But this one, The House of Doors, is just, talk about atmospheric. Um, If you really want to lose yourself in a place and time and a great story, then then this is the book for you. Mm. It takes place in, in 1921. And our main character is a woman named Leslie Hamlin, who lives with her husband, Robert, and they live, uh, he's a diplomat, and they live in Penang. Hmm. And they are visited by an old school friend of uh, Robert's who turns out to be Willie Somerset Mom. So, Hmm. um, and Willie, yes, Mm -hmm. Willie, that's what they call him. And uh, he arrives for an extended visit with his secretary slash lover, Gerald. and so the the book talks about this visit, but at the same time, uh, there's also a visit by another sort of well-known, well, definitely well-known connection, mm-hmm. and that is the Chinese revolutionary uh, Sun Yat-sen. Oh. 
And he is over in Penang trying to uh, build up support for his hope to bring sort of more of a democratic rule over in in China. Mm-hmm. So the stories don't, the, the characters don't uh, overlap. In fact, Sun Yat-sen and Somerset Mom do not see each other. Mm. The linchpin is Leslie, mm. who is very interested in him and becomes interested and then involved with a gentleman who is working with him. And I just, the atmosphere, like the way he describes Penang and the houses, the uh, walking down these narrow streets with these tiny little shops on the side and, you know, the breeze from Mm. the ocean and all this time, um, Leslie's husband, Robert, has been experiencing some health issues. He's a bit older than she is. And their children are away at boarding school. And so throughout this, the undercurrent is he wants them to leave Penang and move away to South Africa Mm. so that he can be in a better climate. Mm. And you've got all these different stories running. Somerset Mom is realizes he's going to be in deep financial trouble. He has a wife at home, and yet he has this lover, Mm -hmm. a very needy lover. There's a murder trial that actually starts taking place with a woman uh, that Leslie and Robert met when they first came to Penang. And you would think that with all those many threads that Aang would have a hard time sort of pulling everything together. Yeah, that's what I was wondering. Yeah, as you were talking. No, no. No, he doesn't. And mm. this is this is a book that, you know, especially if you're living in a cold climate, <laughs> um, I would suggest, you know, curling up with over the holiday and just sort of immersing yourself in this different world in these people. And this, you know, some of it is based on history and you can see the author's note about that. Mm. But it definitely made me want to read his first two books. Oh, wow. Wow. You know, that was interesting, Allison, you talking about being able to feel the breeze. Yes. And that is something I so notice in novels. I'm thinking about some of Leanne Moriarty's novels, you know, which are all set in Sydney, you know, right. which is right there on the ocean. I can always feel the ocean breeze <laughs> yes. when I read her novels. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I don't yeah. know. Like... Now we just sound absolutely silly. We feel the breeze. We smell characters. <laughs> yeah, I know. I know. And yet I know that if I, I know for sure that if I sat down and tried to write about the smells in South Carolina, you know, mm-hmm. different times of the year, the magnolia, mm-hmm. the breezes in the autumn, mm-hmm. I could, I could not do it. I just couldn't. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And that's, I think, what makes us, I don't know about you, but I think that makes me really admire the author that oh, much more. Oh, yes. Oh, my goodness. Yes, yes. Yeah. And can we talk, can we take a side note for just a second about speaking of smells in South Carolina at this time of year? <laughs> at our retreat last month on Hilton Head, right. during the race, right near mile two, there was the most heavenly floral fragrance oh. that, that I, I mean, I, I was laser focused during that race but i actually turned my head and like swiveled it all around to try to see what flowers these were and I, it was intoxicating and it was this out and back figure eight uh loop course and so 
I got to go past it twice and it was just, oh, heavenly. And afterwards, so many retreaters were like, did you smell those flowers right near? <laughs> so, I wonder so, what it was because it would not have been magnolia down on the coast. No. So, so Tish Hamilton, you know, one of our, one yeah. of my other co-hosts and, and she was a presenter. I don't remember having the conversation with her about that, but she knows I love flowers. So she wrote me a thank you note and she started out by saying, I hope you smelled the camellias on the race course. (laughs) And I was like, this was the answer to my prayers that she had told me what the flowers were. Oh, that's wonderful. (laughs) And so I've looked at because camellias out here on the West Coast, which are winter blooming flowers, do not have a fragrance. Mm -hmm. And so then I looked it up. Oh, you betcha. Ones in in the South do have fragrance. Yes. Yes, they Mm -hmm. do. Yeah. And there are people here. In fact, a a gentleman goes to my church who has raised award-winning camellias. Look at that. Yeah. Yeah. Eddie Mann. Thinking of you. Yeah. And, and, you know, you have women that are like, oh, my camellias just aren't doing well. And somebody will say, you need to get Eddie over to your house. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I'm glad you got to smell that. Yes, it was fantastic. Yes, yes. (laughs) All right, we are detouring back to books, to our main path. Um, So you read Pets by Catherine Chidge. Yes. Maybe I'm not saying that right. Yes, I think you are, I think. And, Mm -hmm. uh, you know, talk about other places. This one takes place Mm -hmm. in New Zealand. And Mm -hmm. this, if you, if you know, all this holly jolly Christmas uh, music (laughs) and, and themes have have just, you just think, my goodness, you know, bah humbug, pick this book up because I believe it's very well written, but I believe disturbing would be a good adjective mm. for it. It okay. takes place in the early 1980s and there's a young girl, 12-year-old girl named Justine. Um, Justine's mother has just died and it's her and her father. Her father is taking, understandably, taking the death of his wife very, very hard and is sort of drowning himself in, he's he's working, he owns an antique shop and he he goes to work, but at night he comes home and essentially just sort of drowns his sorrows with alcohol. Mm. And Justine is sort of trying not to be a bother to him, Uh, but at school, she and her classmates have come under the spell of this young sort of hip teacher who's very different from any teacher they've ever had and Mm. she's very very magnetic and so as happens with many schoolgirls, particularly a lot of them have crushes on her uh Mm -hmm. the thing about this teacher is that she understands that these young girls are sort of enthralled with her and she uses that to her advantage she has pets hence the Mm. name of the book, um, but they change from time to time. And she begins to sort of focus in on Justine, especially after she understands that Justine's mother has died. Uh, Mm -hmm. And early in the book, in the classroom, things start disappearing. Mm -hmm. And somebody will lose a a treasured pen. Another Mm -hmm. person will, you know, have a, a hat that was very significant to them. And that suddenly disappears. And so the question becomes, who is stealing these objects? Um, and at the same time, Justine is getting deeper involved with this teacher. Uh, the mm. teacher is introduced to her father. And we just 
keep getting deeper and deeper into things where you know something is not right, but you're not mm. exactly sure of what it is. And mm. every once in a while, Chidgy takes you about 20 years ahead. And mm. now we're with Justine, who's a young wife and mother, and her father has developed Alzheimer's. And he's in a home with a young woman taking care of, care of him who very, very, very much reminds Justine of her old teacher. Oh, goodness. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. I'm going to leave you at that um, just to say that it's dark, but at the same time, it's sort of riveting. It's, mm-hmm. you know, you're sort of pulled into this and you, like I say, there's this menacing undercurrent, but you're not quite sure mm-hmm. what is going on um, mm-hmm. and who mm-hmm. the bad person is. The bad you know, I, I, I looked this up on Amazon mm-hmm. when you sent over the, the list of books. And what jumped to my mind was that movie with Kate Winslet from yes. a long time ago, Heavenly Creatures, yes. also set in New Zealand. Right. Um, two, sounds like girls of about the same age, you know, school girls. And I don't know. Yeah, anyway. That's, yeah, that's it's what, based what on I a true of. story. Yeah. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's been compared to that, and I can undersee why. Oh, uh, understand look why. At that. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> Good. All right. Well, the next book is the scrupulous. I didn't say that very well. The scrupulous confession of Lydia Bennett, which by Melinda Taub. And so we both got a copy of this, mm-hmm. and we're divided on this one. Yep. And. <laughs> so, so you you say what your impression? What happened with you with the book? Well, I was very excited to to start the book and started it and got about twenty or twenty five pages in and thought, oh, this is interesting. Got about another twenty pages in and I just it I just shut down. It mm. just did not. I felt like it, the plot wasn't moving quick enough for me for this type of book. I felt like there should have been a, a little bit more movement. Mm. And it may be that, you know, sometimes you'll get an idea in your head, oh, this book is going to be like this. But yes. I I gave it more than I usually give a book before I do not finish it. And then I put it aside. Mm, a DNF. Yes. Yep. All right. Well, so, you know, you know me, I do love a well-done twist or revisiting to Jane Austen's Pride and Prejudice. I I think of Pride and Prejudice and Zombies, which (laughs) I still adore more than a decade later. Or one book that we, I'm pretty sure both enjoyed from a a couple um, reading episodes before the other Bennett sister. Oh, I love that. I love that book. I love that book. I keep waiting for her to write another one. Oh, I'm glad you're on the lookout for it so you can alert yes, me. Yes, I am. Yes, very good. I sent that off to our niece because she also loves Jane Austen. So anyway, so I'm I'm only about I'm I'm before your cutoff point. I haven't gotten to that turn off yet, but um I am really enjoying it and I think I'm going to take it on the family vacation because it's a long enough book. I you know, it's I want to say it's around 400 pages. And so I'm like, okay, that'll be good for a long plane ride. So I hope I don't hit the same, you know, giving up point that you did. But I was intrigued that the author who writes for Samantha Bee's show, am I right on that one? Yes. Right. So, you know, a very contemporary, I assume she's, you know, super hip, 
that she also, like Dan McGorman, breaks the fourth wall and has the, but rather than being the author speaking directly to the reader, has Lydia, the youngest Bennett sister, speak directly to the reader yes, uh, as she's writing. And so I don't know, I somehow feel that that trend is tied to social media in some way or another. I can't quite put my finger on it. Um, I would. Yeah, I, I think that's a good suggestion. I never thought of that. And I'll bet you anything mm-hmm. that's. Yeah, just That's kind of that d- that direct way of speaking to people that we don't need to go through an intermediary anymore. So, but it is intriguing that, that I don't know, I just found so far how Lydia creates her sister Kitty. Yeah, <laughs> I did like that. <laughs> so, and I'm just going to just leave it. I'm not going to tell me what it is, but but bear in mind her name is Kitty. So, right. I just was like, oh, well, isn't that clever? <laughs> so so I'm given, and it's a wee bit cutesy. Um, right. Yeah. But I'm, I'm, in the, I'm open to it. I'm ready for it. So, good. Yeah. Well, yeah. I want to hear what you think of it. Okay. Very yeah. good. Very yeah. good. <laughs> and while we're on the cutesy sort of easy topic, I'm, I'm going to talk about a book that I read and loved and um, this is my guilty pleasure. Okay. A very, very well written Regency romance. Mm, yes. Cue it's the good. strings. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. But it's interesting because I like uh, it, has to be pretty well written. And people have sent me, oh, you should read this author. You should read that author. You should. And there are a couple of them. And I'm like, nope, nope, nope. <laughs> and this author I was not familiar with. She's written several books, but her name is Allison Goodman, and she uh, has written the first in a Promise series, and it's mm. called The Benevolent Society of Ill-Mannered Ladies, mm-hmm. and it is fun. This is a, I just want to enjoy myself. I want to enjoy a uh, romance, will they or won't they? Uh, <laughs> it's, it centers around two sisters who are unmarried, although one of them, her fiance has just has just died. Actually, they're twin sisters and they're oh. in their early 40s, which is considered, you know, one foot in the grave during sure. the early 1800s. Mm-hmm. And they have been asked early on in the book to rescue a friend's goddaughter, Carolyn, who is married to a very violent man who's got her sort of clustered away from her family and and is very upset because they've been married for like four or five years and she hasn't given him any children. Most importantly, she hasn't given him an heir. Mm -hmm. And so what they're concerned about is, you know, in the early 1800s in Britain to get a divorce was not only ruinous uh, as far as a scandal, but it usually just cut both parties out of out of society. So yes. what her family's mm-hmm. worried about is he's going to do away with her. Oh. So these two sisters who are, you know, very upper class, genteel, mm-hmm. um, but are both bored to tears, decide <laughs> that they are going to help this woman. And mm-hmm. on the way to help her, their coach is stopped and there's an attempted robbery by two mm-hmm. men, one of whom it turns out they knew many mm-hmm. years ago, but he was charged with killing somebody in a duel, and he oh. as, it was sent off to the you know the nether regions, Austra- right, mm-hmm. to Australia, mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. never to be seen again. But oh 
no, he's back. There he is. Mm-hmm. And boy, is he a looker. Mm. Oh, of course. <laughs> of course. I was waiting. You get <laughs> dark, right. wavy hair, perhaps. Oh, yes. You know, you can see his muscles through his, his shirt. And, yeah. You know, <laughs> that twinkle in his hazel eyes. Yes. Uh-huh, yeah. Yeah. Go on and on. And, um, but I have to say that it, it, this, the other word that I would use to describe this book is rollicking. It's just fun. Mm. And, and mm-hmm. uh, the sisters go from, you know, from from one adventure to another, and all the time this you know gentleman from down under keeps kind of sort of popping up and uh, mm-hmm. at the end of it, I love the way she ended it. It definitely is open ended for the second book in the series, and I'm hoping that mm-hmm. she can you know pull off a, a second, a third, maybe a fourth book. Oh, I, this has Netflix series written all yes, over it. Yes, it does. I mean, start yeah, casting yeah. it now. Oh, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> calling all Bridgerton fans, this is oh, a book for you. Completely. <laughs> yes, yes. <laughs> Very different from the other ones, but boy, did I enjoy that. <laughs> uh, and can I just also say, when you say their coach was stopped, and I'm like, wait, why'd they have a coach? And I realize you don't mean a running coach. You mean a coach that you ride in that is pulled by horses. <laughs> Sorry. Did <laughs> I mention it's about 1820? <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> you know, we're on a running podcast. It all comes back to it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's true. Oh, dear. <laughs> right. Oh, my goodness. Well, let's finish out our conversation about fiction with a collection of short stories. Oh, yes. And this is uh, the latest from Claire Egan, who a lot of our listeners may remember as an Irish writer who wrote Small Things Like These. And You, have to, you have to get your Irish. I your do. Irish. I do. <laughs> and sure I also do. need to mention Louise Kennedy also has a book of short <laughs> stories out. Plug, plug. But this, um, Foster was the one that she published last year, which I really loved. And so Late in the Day is three short stories, uh, you know, possibly what you would call them is very short novellas. Mm -hmm. And they all have, I've got to tell you what is fascinating to me, and it took me till the last, the third story to realize, is they all end with the title of the story. In other words, the last sentence the last yes. two sentences always end. And so when you start, when you begin to realize that, you sort of think, oh, all right. Mm. So, you know, there's so late in the day. And then mm. there's, uh, let's see, the long and painful death. Mm. And then the third one, oh, gosh, I can't find anyway. But they just. Mm, each, what a clever conceit. Yes. Uh-huh. And she uh-huh. is one of these writers. She also uh, kind of reminds me of Alice Munro, the great Canadian short yes, story writer. I know you love your Alice oh, Munro. Yes. I do. Uh-huh. I do. And uh, with uh, she takes a person uh, in what seems like a very normal situation, a guy who's, who's just broken up with a, with a woman, another, a bored married woman who decides just to go off and take a have a weekend to herself she takes these people and drops them into these situations and then this either the situation changes or she widens out the lens on okay what happened with this love story gone wrong mm-hmm. um so they're bite size, but they really pack a punch because after you read each one of them you'll kind of want to sit back and go huh that's kind of oh. that's interesting how she did that and her characters. I mean, 
uh, I just think she's a superb young writer. Hmm. Lovely. Lovely. All right. Okay, well, let's switch to nonfiction. Yes. Mm-hmm. Okay. Oh, I'm, I love talking about this book. It's The Comfort of Crows, A Backyard Year by Margaret Wrinkle. And mm-hmm. uh, she has also uh, pictures in this illustration, I should say, that oh. are by her brother, Billy Wrinkle, who oh, um, Margaret, for people, Margaret Wrinkle, for people that don't know, is an opinion columnist for the New York Times. And <laughs> she's from Nashville. And her brother, Billy, lives in also in Tennessee. But uh, Margaret has written all kinds of opinion pieces, but she really focuses on life in the South. And this book is different from her other twos, which were mainly essays about living in the South, about growing older. Uh, but this is all about a year in her yard in her area of the country. So mm-hmm. she starts off by talking about, I believe she starts off in the fall. And the illustrations that follow each or that come with each essay are fascinating and lovely and incredible. It made me look Billy Wrinkle up on Instagram. Oh, And okay. each one of the essays talks about a different facet of that season. She might have, you know, about six to eight essays on each season. And oh. she is really concerned about how, as we build houses, as we populate areas, not only are we mowing down trees and, you know, getting the perfect lawns, um, we don't really realize how we're destroying the habitat for creatures around us, particularly birds. Mm. And it sounds like it's going to be sort of a diatribe, like, you know, mm-hmm. this is what we need to do. But it's not because she is has this fascinating information about, mm. did you realize that this feeds this or this particular bird migrates at this particular time through your backyard? In fact, mm. we've seen that some here in Aiken. Mm-hmm. And it's just, it's a lovely book, and I would recommend it particularly for anybody who is really focused on nature. And even, I mean, I'm not what I would call somebody that, you know, walks out and admires the world around me as much as I should. Mm. But this book is just a lovely book, and the information is presented so kindly and so thoughtfully. Mm. I think it's a it's a wonderful gift book. Mm, I, was, I was just about to say, I think it sounds like a fabulous gift to give to people. Yes, definitely. Yeah, and I think, you know, look at her earlier stuff, too. She's written two earlier books of, of essays, and um, those are something to look up as well. Right. And do we think Margaret Renkel and Ann Patchett are friends because they both live in Nashville? They are. They are. Oh, good. In fact, okay. They have uh, some point, one of, their, one of the other mentioned they go away with their husbands sometimes oh. together. Oh, yeah. they're truly friends. Yes. Wow. Yes. Oh. In fact, I got a first edition signed copy because I'm in the Parnassus, Ann Patchett's bookstore, Parnassus mm-hmm. First Edition Club. 
Look at you. Of course you are. Yes. That's a sickness. (laughs) Tell me something else that's not a shocker. (laughs) Glad you're sitting. Yeah. Oh, my goodness. All right. Well, I have a nonfiction contribution to this conversation. It is Untold Power, the Fascinating Rise and Complex Legacy of First Lady Edith Wilson by Rebecca Boggs Roberts. And it was recommended and generously loaned to me by Laurel, one of our brand ambassadors. She brought it to our retreat and was, and she did, she handed it to me and said <gasps> she thought I'd really like it. And wow. she, she was correct. Uh, so I will say going into this, pretty much the entirety of what I knew about Edith Wilson was learned from a skit on drunk history, uh, <laughs> which I love that show. Learned about yeah. it from Alex, our previous podcast yeah. producer. And so, you know, Edith Wilson, the second wife of Woodrow Wilson, his first wife died, and Edith Wilson herself, she had lost her first spouse. So, oh my goodness, but a very independent woman, and it, it was just, it's just a story of, you know, it's a biography of her, and it is fascinating. It is written in such an eminently readable style with a few witty asides, a few, oh my gosh, I didn't know that, you know. Mm-hmm. And yet it still shows great respect and gravitas for its subject. I really, I, I really liked it. Yeah. And yeah, I'd never heard of this and I love first lady biographies if they're done well. So uh, especially with the South Carolina connection with Woodrow Wilson, I need to get this. Yes. All right. Okay. The, uh, also because you saying that you love history of first ladies, I mean, she, Edith Wilson set so many precedents for them. Yes, she she, did. She was the first one to go on a overseas trip with her spouse. Usually the um, wife stayed at home when her husband, the president went on any, you know, ambassadorial roles or, you know, trips and, and there were a couple other firsts. She also was supposedly the first woman in D.C. This doesn't have to do with her being first lady who got her driver's license. Oh, I did and, not know that. And that she would drive around this little electric car. <laughs> no, it was not a Tesla. And, uh, you know, it sounded kind of like a glorified golf cart. <laughs> There's a lot of those in South Carolina. <laughs> oh, my goodness. I saw Speaking of the New York Times, I saw a New York Times article about it. A city that just is, you know, that's how the whole place exists is by golf carts. So, yeah, so it was just, it was, just, there was little asides like that that I really, really made the book for me. Wow. Okay. Taking note. Yes, very good. <laughs> Remember, all the books are in the show notes, Allison, so you don't need to write it down. <laughs> okay. Okay. All right. I'm putting the pen down. <laughs> okay. And, uh, and then you have one more for us. What's that? Uh, the In Between by Hadley, uh, and I believe she pronounces this Vejos. Mm. She's an RN, mm-hmm. and she's a hospice RN. And mm. you know how I love hospice books or, you know, books on death and dying <laughs> not, because... Not, okay, there we go. There, <laughs> yeah, That's a subgenre I can go with, but <laughs> that was yeah. mighty niche. Uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah, that is oh, mighty. I although guess I hospice is say, kind of, it's in the, you know, zeitgeist right now with, with Rosalind Carter and yes, Jimmy Carter. Yes, and mm-hmm. Jimmy Carter. God bless him because mm-hmm. I just think, I guess I shouldn't say hospice books. I should just say hospice period, hard stop. Mm. Yeah, there you go. I, you know, they, they helped us uh, with my mother's last months and were mm-hmm. a godsend. And mm-hmm. I have heard so many people, uh, including one of my aunts who had had them in when her husband was dying. And she always said to me, why did I wait so long? Which I think mm. is mm-hmm. like, it should be maybe their 
you know, on T-shirts. But anyway, right, right. This book is essentially a collection of essays where Hadley takes us to different clients that she had mm. and their families, patients that she had in their families. And one thing that she wants us all to know is death and dying is part of life. And mm-hmm. more that we can know about it and learn about it in many ways, sometimes that's going to really not only help the person we love dearly who mm-hmm. is dying, but it also will help us. Mm-hmm. And the other thing that I found very interesting about these stories that she tells and, you know, their actual things that happen is mm-hmm. how many people see, uh, you know, that a dying person will see somebody that has gone before them. Mm-hmm. And I've had this happen in my own family where they yes, say, same. you know, my grandfather told my father, my brothers are coming to get me. Oh, my father totally, he saw his parents. Yes. Yes, definitely. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and she Mm -hmm. says this has nothing to do with um, whether you're a Christian or have any form of spiritual belief. She said it doesn't matter. Mm -hmm. And so she found that comforting because she learned that that gave so many of the people who were dying comfort. But Mm -hmm. what she found was a lot of times it brought great discomfort to their family members. You know, their family members would mm. greet her at the door and say, oh, gosh, mom says she's been talking to her sister. Her sister's been dead for 15 years, you know. And mm. so I think what she does with this book, and it's 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 an interesting, very kind of a quick read. But I think what she does is sort of calms everybody's nerves about what a dying person goes through. Obviously, it's not, you know, set in stone. Everybody's different. Mm-hmm. And also how just learning more about how we can talk to the dying, uh, particularly mm-hmm. people that we care for, and, and, and how we can care for them in these, these last days. It's not a downer. I didn't find mm-hmm. it a downer at all. Mm. But like you say, with um, Jimmy Carter and Rosalind bringing more attention mm-hmm. to hospice, I think this is a really good read. Mm-hmm. Mm. And I think books like that are important. I think back a long time ago, the book that you uh, that w- you talked about that was written by a father who had lost his young son. Yes. And I was like, oh, no, I can't read books like that. They're sad. And a listener wrote in and said that she was the mother of a child who had died young and that, you know, it's ideas like mine, it's concepts like mine that kind of not negate exactly, but I don't know, put her situation in a place that doesn't feel good for her. And so then because of that, that was why I read that, that long book about nine 11. Yes. You know, that I think I'm, I'm an optimist and a sunshiny person. And sometimes I don't like going toward the darkness as I perceive it. And, um, it sounds like this is not a dark book, but um, sometimes contemplating things that are less than sunshiny, pleasant is a good exercise. Yeah. Yeah. And, Mm -hmm. Again, I have to put in a plug for hospice, which I think has helped so many families. Mm-hmm. Um, it was a gift to our family, and I know it's been a gift to other families as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 
All right. Well, Allison, thank you, as always, for talking about your love of books. And we will talk again about what this, you there are so many books that you have been reading <laughs> that were, I had to I had to ask you to save some for the for the, you know, my conversation with each of the podcast uh, co-hosts for the year and look back on the year. So you're going to share a couple more books on that episode. I am. We talk about that. Yes. So yeah. it pleases me that, that this is not, you know, this is just a talk to you later, Allison. You know, this is- <laughs> <laughs> That's right. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I'd love for listeners to let us know what books they've enjoyed this year because I love reading best of 2023 lists. Oh, I know. I think of you every time I see one. <laughs> <laughs> I like yes. my day. <laughs> and now that we are, now that uh, I know I'm no longer on X or I'm not active on X, no. I guess people could um, put it in all. On our Instagram account, uh, yes, uh, yeah, at the Mother Runner, and I know you pay attention to that account in the comments, so that would be a I good do. place. Yes, so thank you for doing that. So, and something else that people might have seen on our Instagram account just this past Tuesday, we opened our 2024 retreat. Woo woo! It is being held. We are going to a new location. I'm sorry, Ellison. We are not returning to South Carolina. Boo. We are going to New York State to Lake Placid a place that I know very well. My first husband's family, uh, his extended family are kind of royalty there, um, Mm. thanks to their Olympic tradition. And so it is going to be September 6th to 9th. And that is the tail end of summer there. And the place we are saying High Peaks Resort is right on Mirror Lake, which is the small boat free lake that is right in town. And I love open water swimming there. So we'll be doing that. There'll be hiking, there'll be runs around the lake, great food. There's uh, charming downtown is right there. And then there's also so many of the Olympic venues because Lake Placid is home to the 32 and the 1980 games. And so we're looking into possibly doing something that involves going to those. So, you know, still kind of shaping up some of the details, but people can check out what details we have and register for the retreat by going to anothermotherrunner.com click on events and there it is in the drop down again anothermotherrunner.com and click on events in the top navigation and i hope to see you next september folks our podcast today was produced in st paul minnesota by barry medora from fire on the bluff Okay, we're going to have to um, play the music of the, uh, you know, do, 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 looking things up. (laughs) All right, that was epic. Oh, my goodness.